Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. How's it going, everyone? Grace here. On this episode of the DIGA podcast, I talk with Dr. Desmond Shipp, a cosmetic dermatologist at The Ohio State University. We talk about how he got into cosmetic dermatology, as well as the importance of high-quality cosmetic care for skin of color patients. Without further ado, see you on the skin side. All right, welcome back to the DIGA podcast. I'm here with Dr. Desmond Shipp, and he's going to introduce himself. Hello, everyone out there. I hope that all is well. My name is Dr. Desmond Shipp. I am a cosmetic dermatologist here at The Ohio State University. Uh, I actually am an ASDS fellowship trained cosmetic dermatologist, assistant professor for clinical division of dermatology. I'm sorry, at the D- Department of Dermatology at The Ohio State University. I also am the co-director of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, at The Ohio State University Department of Dermatology, and I'm the director of cosmetics for The Ohio State University Department of Dermatology, as well as the co-director for Camp Discovery in Pennsylvania. So I am honored to be a part of the DIGA um, platform, and I'm excited to um, answer some questions and hopefully inspire someone out there that's listening in a distant um, place to inspire them to want to consider and go into dermatology, even cosmetic dermatology like myself. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you as well on the podcast, Dr. Ship. My first question for you is, uh, why did you choose to pursue dermatology? And at what point in medical school did you make that decision? So when I was in medical school, you know, I had that itching, like, ah, you know, no pun intended with dermatology itching, but I had that thought process that I knew I wanted to do dermatology. But, um, you know, sometimes you get a lot of people who tell you that you have to have this specific board score and things of that nature. So when you hear a lot of negative influences, you kind of like mm, stay away from that other dream of your life. But um, I held in there. I started and uh, worked really hard and was very dedicated did a lot of publications, um, volunteered with a lot of organizations, and ultimately went up to people and let them know that I was really interested in dermatology, which was solidified my fourth year in medical school, where I had the opportunity to do a um, rotation out in um, Geisinger in Pennsylvania and also in, um, and also in Arizona. And they gave me the opportunity that just changed my life, and I knew I wanted to go dermatology their own. So, you know, I always had an interest, but... Um, after doing a few rotations, I knew that that was a specific specialty that was meant for me. Yeah, I know the pun was not intended, but you you got to scratch that itch and and uh, the rest is history. What other specialties did you consider throughout medical school that, that might have piqued your interest during that time? Yeah, so I looked into endocrinology. I really love the endocrine gland and I love the way how one thing goes up, this goes down and it levels out and trying to get to that even plateau and everything kind of equalizes. And I thought that, that was a phenomenal specialty. Um, it's just that I had a different calling, but I also considered neurosurgery. And when I was on my surgery rotation, I had the opportunity to help remove a tumor in the um, I, I can't say that I had the opportunity to help, but I got to watch as a medical student, um, other residents and physicians who were able to remove tumors of the brain. And I just thought that that was so amazing and just the tactile function and the skills that they had to use to remove those tumors. And I thought for sure that I was going to consider that. 
However, once I was married, my wife was like, no, you will be in the operating room for too long. So you maybe want to consider a different specialty. And uh, I was fortunate enough that dermatology had a surgical aspect to it and um, allowed me to still um, live my dream. So that was another reason why I had to go move more towards dermatology. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite aspects of dermatology as well. And uh, going a little more specific, how did you become interested in cosmetic dermatology? Yeah, so I actually practiced general dermatology. So once I graduated from residency, I uh, was recruited by Dr. Bechtel to come back home to Ohio. And I practiced here for two years and I did general dermatology and I enjoyed it. I loved it. I had a lot of um, great patients who were amazing. Um, but as again, I always had that thought process that I wanted to do cosmetics. And, um, you know, we were going through a time where we we're trying to rebuild in the uh, Department of Dermatology. At that time was the division. And I knew that cosmetic dermatology was something that was needed in all um, departments, especially in the Department of Dermatology. They needed that. And so I decided to do a one-year fellowship um, um, two years after I graduated and was practicing at Ohio State. And I went to um, Brooklyn to New York and I trained under Dr. E.L. Levitt at um, Aesthetics and Laser Surgical Cosmetic Dermatology in Brooklyn, New York under E.L. Levitt. And it was just a phenomenal, just life-changing experience. Um, I did a year out there during the time of COVID it was just starting to come around and I was able to do lephroplasties, which was removing excess skin over the upper eyelids and also the lower eyelids. I was able to do liposuction. I was able to do laser procedures, advanced laser procedures, where we were helping with people who had contracted scar wounds from burn injuries. Also people who had multiple wrinkles on their skin who wanted to improve on their skin texture, acne scars. I was able to do laser tattoo removal. Um, I used lasers to even do liposuction. Um, we had a, lightning, a laser tightening device will help with um, the liposuction cases to tighten the skin. Um, neurotoxins like Botox. There's quite a few new ones now uh, that we use, Daxify and also um, Juvia. Um, so we have tons of them um, that we use now as well as <clears throat> Ingo botulinum toxin and Apo botulinum toxin. So we have quite a few. Um, I was also doing laser hair removal, fillers. So I got to do a whole gambit of procedures and just really, really was fortunate to be able to do those and bring them back to Ohio State. Yeah, that's amazing. Just the breadth of different procedures that you can do. It's really tapping into that hands-on side of dermatology. I'm wondering how the technology of, of cosmetic dermatology will continue to evolve over the next 10 years or so. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's constantly evolving. Um, I think that in the next 10 years, you can probably see, uh, and sometimes it's going back to the prehistoric days where we're taking more collagen supplements. Um, we're using tretinoins to help to rebuild collagen in the skin. I do think that there will be some topical um, creams that will actually be able to do gene modification, um, helping with wound healing. Um, when I was actually, I uh, uh, did a, re a research fellowship in, at Northwestern in uh, wound healing, and we had a protein, an enzyme called GM3 synthetase. And if you inhibit that, it actually increases wound healing and diabetes. And so I was hopeful at some point in time that that would make it to market. Unfortunately, that hasn't. Dr. Amy Powler was the big um, guru behind that, and Chad Merck, I think Chad Merck, if I'm not mistaken, 
um, they were doing GM3 synthetase and gene modifications with topicals. And I just hope that that will be something big in dermatology soon where we can actually use a topical cream to modify a gene um, to um, help it produce or help it to stop producing something abnormal in the skin. Um, so I have less side effects from taking it systemically like a pill. Um, I expect to see that hopefully in the next three to five years, but you, you know, times and grants and research is always something that you're going to have to use to improve upon um, what's going on in medicine now for us to get to the next stage. Um, I do feel that a lot of procedures will be geared towards skin of color. Um, so often I've seen that, you know, a lot of the procedures that we do, whether that be neurotoxins and liposuction, you hardly ever see skin of color um, marketed in that group. So I think that that's going to be a huge change. I hope that there will be more cosmetic fellowships as well um, for young um, physicians like yourself and others who are interested in cosmetics to be able to um, learn as much as possible. Yeah. And, and just going off of that, what advice do you have for any medical students or um, anyone further along in their training who might be considering a career in cosmetic dermatology? I would tell them that you don't need a cosmetic fellowship to do cosmetic dermatology, but if you want to improve and have be able to do advanced procedures, um, like I said, liposuction, blepharoplasties, uh, lip augmentation, and things like that, then I would recommend that you do a fellowship. It just increases your breadth of knowledge. You make more contacts and connections with others who are in that field. So if you have questions, you can bounce it off them because we haven't seen everything in dermatology, but I'm sure that everything has seen all of us, if that makes sense, at some point in time. Um, but I do recommend that if you are considering cosmetics, definitely consider doing a cosmetic fellowship. It just is so informational. It gives you uh, a backbone and really a good basis for you to um, progress in your cosmetic skill and help you to do better marketing and just overall be a better physician. So I think cosmetic fellowships are definitely needed and are important if you want to go into cosmetic dermatology. In addition to teaching residents, what else comprises a typical week in your career? So my week specifically, um, you know, I work four days per week in the office and then I have a fifth day on Friday where I'm able to do um, a lot of my administrative activities. Um, for me, I do research as well. So I have a tattoo project where we're removing post-incarcerated um, antisocial or gang-related tattoos on individuals who have been incarcerated before. Um, I was able to get a grant for that. So we're using that study to help to remove um, just you know negative tattoos that are preventing others from getting jobs or feeling comfortable and safe in their community. Um, I also am doing a project where we're removing post-radiation um, tattoos and patients who were previously had cancers who have a post-radiation tattoo as well as urethema or redness in the skin. Um, so on those Fridays, you know, I spend a little time making sure that we get those patients in and to treat them effectively. Um, so those are what my Fridays look like in callbacks for like biopsy results. Monday through Thursday. So Mondays and Thursdays and Wednesday mornings, I have all cosmetics. In my cosmetic um, clinic, I do, um, like I said previously, we do a lot of surgical excisions. We do lasers, whether that be for skin tightening, wrinkle removals, um, acne scars. I also do neurotoxins to help with wrinkles. 
Um, we also do <clears throat> laser hair removal, facials, um, liposuction and blepharoplasties are something that we're adding to the mix here um, that will be started up probably in the next few months. Um, but we do quite a few different um, procedures that I'm really, really proud of and that our residents get to take part of watching. On Wednesday mornings, uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday afternoons is when I do general derm. So I'm about 75% cosmetics and then 25% general dermatology. You said that residents primarily watch you do these, uh, these techniques. Do they have an opportunity to try these techniques with your supervision as well? Of course. So I actually encourage our residents. So they have four times per year, we have a residence cosmetic training day where they're able to bring in people who they want to do procedures on, whether that be for Botox, laser hair removal, tattoo removal. Now, the advanced um, procedures that I was referring to, like the liposuction, blepharoplasty, excuse me, and things of that nature, I they're not able to do that, but they're able to shadow and watch me. Now, once we start our cosmetic, and I'm kind of jumping the gun, but once we start a cosmetic fellowship, um, then they'll be able to, um, those who are interested in doing that will be able to take part in that. But um, again, the lace, um, the, the residents get the opportunity to do um, a plethora of cosmetic procedures four times per year. But also I encourage them to come to my um, clinics um, Thursdays or Mondays for them to um, shadow me and they can actually do procedures in the clinic with me. And then if there's a procedure that they have a desire to do and they haven't seen or they weren't able to do it in my clinic, then they can actually bring a person at the end of the day and they'll be able to do that. We'll talk about the side effects. We'll take photos, um, what to expect three to four, six months afterwards, because each procedure is different and has a different set of side effects and a different outcome. But they get the opportunity to work from the beginning of just giving them information about the procedure, which we call the consult to doing the procedure, and then the aftercare. So they get to do that whenever they choose. I have residents, uh, Mo's fellows, and also students who come to my clinic to um, learn about all the cosmetic procedures. And just really, it really does excite me and um, just makes me very, very happy to be in the position that I am to give back to our students and also the residents and those who are interested in medicine. Yeah, that's amazing. And we're all very grateful for the opportunity to, to learn from you as well. And I know you mentioned earlier about sort of the unique challenges faced by patients of color when accessing cosmetic care. Tell our listeners about what all you've done so far in expanding access to high quality cosmetic care for patients of color. And what can medical students and residents do to continue those efforts? One of the biggest things that we have to do in our society, if we're trying to increase the amount of skin of color or patients of color that are interested in doing procedures is to give them information about those procedures. Oftentimes it's all forgotten or um, each person has their own biases and some of them are unconscious, unconscious of biases. So we have to make sure that we just make sure that we give enough information to our patient population so that they're able to discuss and determine if they want to do that. In my experience, um, and we did a study uh, with one of our uh, medical students, Abina Minta, um, who was able to do, and also Nabia Islam. Um, those are the two students who, um, and Michelle Butler, so three students. So they were able to go to our clinics at our residence clinic, and they were able to do a survey to determine if a skin of color patient had the opportunity if they had been asked about cosmetic procedures. 
And interesting enough, majority of them had been, their majority of the answers were no. They hadn't been asked about cosmetic procedures, whether that's laser um, procedures or neurotoxins or fillers. So one thing is that we have to do a better job at marketing and letting them know that there are procedures available um, to skin of color as well. Another thing is that we can't just say that it's for um, one specific demographic or one sex. It's for all. So men, what I found is that a lot of times they haven't been told about it. And when they have been told, it hasn't been shown that a man has gotten these types of procedures. Example, when a lot of the um, brochures that you look at for like Botox and things like that, it shows many um, patients that are, aren't males. And so as a result, a lot of males don't feel comfortable actually getting those procedures when in actuality, all people can get that, you know, regardless of their sex. And so I think that one of the big things that we've done, um, and not just myself, is that we've requested many of the cosmetic um, companies to show brochures with skin of color, also show brochures with males, females, et cetera, and so that we can actually market it better to our patient population. Um, so that's one of the big things we're doing. We also have to understand that um, there are old wives' tales and things have been shown where people will say, um, this person's skin is less likely to wrinkle. Uh, that may be true, but at some point in time, it will wrinkle. And so we want to make sure that we get it an earlier rather than later to try to take care of it. Because the more you allow it to grow and matriculate, the harder it becomes for us to treat them. So I tell them sooner rather than later is important. So those are big things. So marketing, um, giving a lot of information and make sure we get rid of our unconscious biases and make sure that we talk to all people to give them the information so they're able to do procedures. Yeah, I just find it so interesting how a lot of cosmetic products out there feature women on the packaging and images of men are really only featured if it's specifically marketed for men. And that goes to show the importance of depicting that cosmetic procedures aren't just for specific groups of people, but they are for everyone. You're 100% correct. And, you know, a lot of that does, um, I think the way I tie things in is that in the future, so there are approximately 25 um, American Society of Dermatological Surgery um, cosmetic fellowships. And out of the 25, give or take, five of them are associated with academic institutions. So my goal in the next 16 months is to actually start a cosmetic fellowship at The Ohio State University. So we will be one of only six um, academic institutions that have a cosmetic fellowship. And with that being said, if we're able to establish that, I will encourage all my fellows and residents and so forth to make sure that they're giving enough information to all patients, regardless of their color, their sex, so forth. We have to make sure that we're giving them as much information as possible about cosmetics because that is an untapped market and it's an untapped area where a lot of people are struggling. I mean, how you look affects your daily activities. If you have a lesion on your skin that we can generally take care of or easily take care of with a laser or with the hyphricator, which is a heating device, or if we can shave it flat, if we can take care of that, that's going to make you more comfortable, more confident in the person that you are and allow you to continue to blossom. Whereas if you're not able to get that taken care of because you haven't been giving information about it, then you're going to continue to keep your head kind of low. You may be afraid to do activities that you were destined to do. 
So I think that it's very, very important um, that we encourage our patient population, give them the information and the tools they need to achieve their goals and become that person who they desire to be. Yeah, regardless of where a patient is on the Fitzpatrick scale, it's important that some some types of skin may wrinkle later than others, but the fact of the matter that they still wrinkle. And so addressing it and making sure that the patient is fully aware of every aspect of the procedure and every aspect of how they can be the best version of themselves after the procedure is, is going to be very important in the future. And I'm really excited to hear that, that there's going to be a cosmetic fellowship at OSU. That's, that's really exciting. I'm so excited about that. I mean, to be one of only six um, academic institutions in the United States that has a fellowship for cosmetics, I mean, that's really something to be proud of. And, you know, other things that we have here at Ohio State besides cosmetics, we have a Mose Fellowship, which is a procedure done to remove skin cancers off the head and neck. Um, you don't have a lot of real estate in those areas, so you want to make a small margin as possible and be able to look under the microscope and say, it's clear. Or if you're not clear, you can do a little bit more tissue to take care of in that specific area. So we have that here. We also have dermatopathology, which are the physicians who actually examine and look under the microscope for the tissues that we have. We have a PEDS fellowship for those who are interested in kiddos and things of that nature. We have a PEDS fellowship here. And then when we add the cosmetic fellowship, I mean, it's just going to be something really amazing. And I'm something I'm very, very proud um, to bring to our um, institution. So I'm super excited and can't wait. Absolutely. I wonder what the process has been like for establishing the cosmetic fellowship. How far are you along in the process and what kinds of things do you have to keep in mind when in the process of uh, making it a full-fledged fellowship? Yeah, there are a lot of things that we have to go into. I'm, I'm not sure if we have enough time to discuss them all here, but you know, it is a, it is a, it is a huge task and we have all the tools um, to empower us to accomplish that goal. And my um, goal is to have it set up in the next probably 16 months. Um, so look forward to that and um, stay tuned. Yeah. So many of our medical school listeners might have an opportunity to, to train in this new fellowship program potentially. So indeed, indeed. yeah, something to look forward to. Um and just to wrap up, uh, what kind of general advice do you have for applicants to dermatology who are in their preclinical stage of medical school and in their clinical stage? Yeah, so preclinical, um, everyone's probably going to tell you the same thing. Study hard. Um, really, really do your best on your, your boards and things of that nature. You know, they're kind of shying away from the um, they're going from this specific score to just pass and fail. I think that that's um, been implemented majority of places. Um, so what you can do is just make sure that you do your best, um, give it all you have. And that's as easy as I could put it. But I would say a little bit more important is that if you are interested in dermatology, don't wait to the last minute like I did. Try to do it earlier rather than later. Um, reach out to your mentors, reach out to your um, friends or whoever that may be who may be associated with dermatology programs or um, anyone who's in the dermatology uh, field, just try to reach out to them to let them know you're interested because they may have a project or something that you can tag along with, which opens a connection to another physician who may be in California or another one who may be in Miami of Ohio or who may be in Colorado. And it just really, really helps with the networking. Because dermatology is a really, really small network, 
but it's a huge part of our medical system. So it's important that you try to make your connections sooner rather than later. Don't wait to the last minute. If you change, that's fine, but just make sure that you're making your presence known um, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Yeah, and everyone knows anyway because it's such a small um, field. I, I would um, also like to point out, you know, we've talked about skin of color, and I hate to digress, um, but it's important to know that dermatology is a second, at least something was published about four or five years ago. So dermatology is a second um, least diverse specialty out of medicine. The first will, I believe, with orthopedic surgery. And so we're working to improve those numbers too, so that um, all those out there who are skin of color or um, considered diverse, please um, don't be afraid to apply. If you're really interested in dermatology, like I said previously, make sure you reach out um, to, um, to those who are in dermatology and ask for some mentorship um, so that you can achieve your goal. Um, so I just want to make sure I, I said that before you all, uh, before we wrapped up. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you saying that because we need dermatologists all across the Fitzpatrick scale to care for patients all across the Fitzpatrick scale. And I'm wondering what you would say to your past self now that you're an attending dermatologist. <laughs> what would I say to my past self? I would just say stay the course, you know, stay the course, really, really concerned about trying to reach a goal. But sometimes you have to really sit back and enjoy the process and not so much getting to that end goal. You know, you have to really enjoy the process because you'll appreciate it so much more. When I was in um, residency, I had the ability or uh, the opportunity to do a, a cosmetic fellowship, but at the time, it just wasn't right for my family and myself. And so I had to just sit back and relax and understand that there's a time for all things, um, but you have to enjoy the journey. And I'm so pleased about how things have come full circle and that I've been able to um, accomplish my goal in a time um, that I'm happy with. Although you always look back and say, could I have done this differently? Could I have done that? Of course you could, but just be happy. Stay working hard. Make sure you make connections with people because those connections are the difference between a fellowship being brought to one place and it not being. So make sure you keep those connections, work hard, and know that it will pay off. Yeah, that's very important stuff. Continue continue to network and live in the present moment. The journey is the reward. And and I do find the, the joy in the little things, even if, you know, like you said, in the future, there's like several steps to go through residency fellowship. You know, it's easy to focus on what's the next step, but mm-hmm. uh, the present moment is is really where where it is. And then as far as the the past is concerned, it's history. Hindsight's always 2020, um, but that's, that's, that's also how we grow, so. You're 100% correct. I couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. That's 100% (laughs) correct. I completely agree with you. (laughs) Dr. Ship, where can people reach you on social media or other platforms? Yeah, so interesting enough. So uh, we're actually starting a um, dermatology Twitter and also a dermatology Instagram page here shortly. So I'm in the process of uh, working with our team to um, get one started. So that should be popping up too. It'll be called OSU Dermatology. At TikTok, or is it TikTok? And then Instagram, sorry. It's tic- Instagram and also Twitter. Twitter and Instagram, sorry. So it'll be an OSU 
um, Dermatology at Twitter and then the other social media platform as well. Um, but always, you guys can reach out to our clinic and I'm always present Monday through Thursday. If you have specifics, we'll go from there. And you can actually email Grace and Grace will um, forward things to me as well. Wonderful. Dr. Ship. it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. And I really hope that our listeners got a little bit of an inside look on the world of cosmetic dermatology and the evolving nature of the field and the um, exciting opportunities that lie ahead in the future. So thank you so much. Grace, thank you so much. This has just been such a pleasure and really an honor. And please, um, my email, um, actually, I think on the Wexner Medical Center, you can find me if you have questions. Um, if you're looking for someone to just talk to you about dermatology, the health process and what can be done, um, just really, really reach out. Don't be afraid. Um, hop out of there and just go and speak to someone so that you can get to your goal. All right. So good luck, everyone. I hope that you all are able to accomplish your goals in the future and just stay positive 24-7. Feeling good, looking good, being positive. All right. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you. Have a nice day, everyone. Study hard. You can do it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermintrustpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 